Texas talking oh, What was that that you said Texas talking oh, Gonna hoop up inside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas goes This is State Representative James White And welcome to the Texas Tribune's weekly podcast And now from the banks of the Natchez River And deep behind the Piney Wood Curtain and where a side of brisket awaits Morgan Smith in Jasper, Texas, I introduce to you this week's Tribcast host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you, Representative White. This is Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the second week of October. Joining me is Editor-in-Chief and CEO Evan Smith. Hey, didn't it sound like James White was screaming? Well, it's coming lo- from behind the pine curtain. It's a he long has to be heard away. over the brisket? Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> but Morgan has come back to join us. Morgan Smith, reporter at the Texas yes. Tribune, is here. To Jasper and back in a day. And it was delicious. It was. Speaking of delicious, Ben Philpot, the host of KUT's <laughs> no good way to take that, ben. Agenda yeah, Texas. Punch Hello. him, punch him with your all? enfeebled hand. <laughs> bam, bam. I don't know. <laughs> it's good radio sound effects. You're a professional. <laughs> ben has tendonitis in his thumb. That's a update on his health. There you go. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, Can want... we talk about moles now? I'm just I asking. Want, I didn't want people to think, because since, since, since they can't see you, I didn't want them to think that your hand is always enfeebled. No. Just, no. just the rest of him. <laughs> just his brain. Just from the neck up. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's move on to our first topic then, shall we? But ben was our first topic. <laughs> no, our first topic is about, uh, you know, this is our first Tribcast since the government shutdown. Last week we aired our live Tribcast from the Tribune Festival, which was great and you should all listen to. But So we missed the government shutdown. So this is our first time back uh, and the government is still shut down. And I was wondering yeah. uh, what people thought about it. Obviously, folks have uh, tried to tie this to Ted Cruz and his epic speech from pre-shutdown days. Is that fair? Could you call this the Ted Cruz shutdown? Evan, you just spoke to the Washington Post about this. I mean, what do you think? I think Ted Cruz gets a lot of the blame for this uh, out in the world because people assume that it was he, Ted Cruz, who caused this to happen. The reality is he spoke for 21 hours, but the shutdown happened not because of his speech. It happened because everybody else in Congress, the other 534 members of Congress, haven't been able to get their act together and come up with a plan in concert with the president to, to make this problem go away. To say that this is somehow Cruz's responsibility is inaccurate. I think it's fair to say that Cruz is responsible for a strain of the conversation, right, that he's gotten a lot of conservatives in in Congress riled up. Um, And because they were focused on defunding the Affordable Care Act, maybe this thing got drawn out. And where where we are now, kind of if you breadcrumb it back, it may have some roots in in some of the stuff that Cruz was saying. But it's not really the Ted Cruz shutdown. If you want to be mad at Ted Cruz, be mad at Ted Cruz. But the shutdown is everybody's responsibility. Right, but it is there is a lot of sort of calling of Ted Cruz's bluff that has led to this, is there not? He was really nah. pushing the defund Obamacare thing really hard, and so the House Republicans were like, "All right, we'll defund it." It seems a little, sort of it seems a little facile to say that he is personally responsible for the shutdown. He's, he's a convenient foil for the Democrats. So if we if we back it up away from Ted Cruz, uh, it, it's also been called the Tea Party shutdown, with the idea being that a minority of Republican congressmen have. Uh, essentially, well, I guess the president said, scared John Boehner into a corner and not allowing him to provide that open vote to the entire 
uh, chamber for a clean CR. I, I think the biggest mistake that's happened in this whole thing was Boehner saying the other day, we don't have the votes for a clean continuing resolution. They do have the yeah, votes. I've, the math is there. I mean, they, they could certainly do it. There's a, a failure of political will probably more than anything else to – to get out of this, and everyone just wants to save face. Everybody wants to be able to say that they didn't compromise their principles. Well, and of course, uh, Ted Cruz calls it the Harry Reid shutdown. We should, right? There's another yes, perspective. He does. He does. Yeah. yeah, he does. I well, mean, which seems, I guess, just as plausible as calling it the Ted Cruz shutdown. The idea going into this was that you know the longer the shutdown lasted, the worse it was going to be for whoever, whichever side was perceived to have caused it. I mean, is that something that we're we're really seeing? It seems like yes, there are federal government workers who um, are going without pay. Uh, yes, you know, there's websites and national parks shut down. But I mean, have we really begun to see the the, the negative causes of it? Well, today I, I woke up to find news that there were the federal benefits for um, the families of uh, soldiers who've been killed in combat were being delayed. As a result of the shutdown, and I kind of thought, well, that sucks. You know, that that, <laughs> yeah. that 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 seems like something that is a real consequence that doesn't. You know, I, I, Morgan, it's funny. It reminded me. I'm so glad you brought this up. It reminded me a little bit of the, the all the gloom and doom, the predictions of locusts and frogs falling from the sky after the public education cuts in 2011. Here, right? Everyone said, "Oh my God, the world's never going to be the same. It's awful. I mean, zombies walking in the streets." And you know what? Eh. Well, and the reality some, is, yeah. Some it, zombies, a zombie in a random school district, maybe one, but <laughs> it wasn't actually as bad as everybody predicted it would be. And this kind of feels like it hasn't been as bad as everybody said it would be either. Well, it's well, also, it, you know, it doesn't These things fact. take a long time, I think, to kind of, for the true consequences, I think, to, to work through the system. They had an interview uh, on NPR this morning with a federal prison guard <clears throat> saying that now he he's going to be getting... Instead of getting an every two-week paycheck, he's now going to be getting uh, a same paycheck every two weeks, but it's only for six days. Um, so he, you know, is talking about what that means to his income. Yeah. And, and yes, there are, you know, they have passed a bill already to uh, back, back, pay back pay for furloughed workers. But right. you know, let's say it takes two months. I mean, could any of us go two months, even if we knew there was a lump sum coming? You know, what are we doing in that? Well, time? if you're paid fancy public radio dollars, you probably can afford <laughs> it because you're. Living, I'll stay at John Ailey's uh, palatial gold palace mansion, too. right? Gold. No, but I think it's, it hasn't affected us. But it doesn't mean it hasn't. But it hasn't I think on other people that we don't see. Right, it but I think the point here is not so much the literal. Effect, but the, the optics. But the optics of it. I think out in the country, people don't really see the impact of the shutdown, and so there's not outrage directed toward the government outside of a certain elite group that pays attention to this stuff. The kind of Morning Joe audience is all up in arms about it, but the average person isn't seeing out in the country. I think is not seeing the effects of the shutdown. Really, Morgan's right that it takes a while for this stuff to work its way through the system. But hasn't, I, hasn't polling shown that well, the gonna, majority do blame the Republicans, which it seems to be hard for the Republicans to get away from this. Yeah, I was it seems like sort polling. of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory on their part. I mean, they had this, you know, especially with the rollout of Obamacare being so glitch heavy, you know, it could have been a great media month for them. But uh, instead, it's a bad one. If they had just shut up and let the thing happen on yeah. its own, right? Well, that's supposed to be the. Uh, the plan that some of the more moderate conservatives wanted, right, to go ahead and let Obamacare go into effect, and then when it collapses, as they believe it's going to, uh, then be able to just let the president take full blame for it because they weren't doing anything to undermine it. President's really gotten lucky in all this, you know. You're right. st- the distraction I mean, has been. I still think it has been a missed opportunity for the Obama administration. I mean, 
the fact that so few people have been able to enroll in Obamacare, that there have been all of these technical difficulties, I think is probably a, a real missed opportunity because, I mean, the president can't go back and say, well, look at all these people who want Obamacare and who are eager to receive these new benefits. Okay, it's a shame that Jeremy Bird's not here this week. You know, how's your tech-savvy messiah now there, Mr. Bird? Can't they say that it was uh, so popular that the uh, servers were barely – that's working. They said that when the uh, system went online, that's it had the said ability. Twenty ten on yeah. election night <laughs> when our site <laughs> crashed. Yeah, yeah, that's what we said. Is no, they, on running Obamacare. They, uh, <laughs> they said that they had the ability to let fifty thousand people at a time register. Uh, that was what the government contract was for, the initial rollout. And since then, they've discovered, or at least that's what they're telling us, they've discovered that that isn't good enough. There's actually a really interesting story uh, that I heard yesterday on the idea of how government contracts and how they're such a pain in the ass to even fill out are uh, – can we not say that? This is a family show. Sorry. Uh, that it's uh, – Pain in the uh, behind. Pain in the behind. Uh, that it uh, – <laughs> Thank you, Ross. Can you edit that together? <laughs> That's how they pronounce it in Jasper. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, it, uh, uh, that it keeps companies that can do better work from even applying. So – so, but, does, but yeah, that's a other thing. Getting back to Ted Cruz, is being the foil for this him. thing, does it help oh, him, crap. hurt him? I, I really do believe that he's helped by all this because the people who don't like him were people who didn't like him before. Mm-hmm. People who do like him like him even more. I think when he loses in the inside the Beltway establishment-centric Washington sense, he wins out in the rest of the country. But is it a win in like a – he gets to remain senator for the foreseeable future, or is there sub? Well, there's not going to be any impeachment proceedings against him. He's senator for five more years. Yeah, no, but I mean, but like, what does it mean that he he wins? It's so great, like, uh, like, does it help his legacy? Does it help? His, I mean, is there? I think, any if, he runs, I think if he runs for president, he becomes the Tea Party folk hero that he wants to be. He's the one true Tea Party uh, 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 candidate, I think, in that race who has no pockmarks on him for having compromised with the evil. Washington establishment. But what is, I mean, what is his way out of this? Is he just, is at the end of it, it just finally gets so bad that he says, well, you know, President Obama is just so inflexible and, you know, I just can't let our veterans not get benefits anymore. I don't well, think he, he has to worry down. about he's that. Say, he's saying that, but I, I, I think Ben's right. I, he doesn't I have to worry about it because he's in the he's in the minority in the Senate. If he were in the House, he would have to be seen as capitulating somehow for a, a clean CR to get through the House. But in the Senate, he can still vote oh, he no. He can vote no. But look, he can, he can vo- still vote no, and it can still pass. And he the will continue. He will continue Got to it. vote no, and that no vote will be the basis for right. further activity on his part politically. He'll be able to say, look, I. I don't know every held time. True to the end. Yes, and he, he runs no risk of just seeming utterly unreasonable for bringing it to this point. Or, I mean, well, but the people who find that's him what to be base, unreasonable yeah. were people who were not with him before, and the people mm-hmm. who who find him reasonable, perfectly sane, are the people who love him and love him ever more because of what he's done. I, I, I just I, I fail to see how people look at this and think Ted Cruz is hurting himself with whom. With the Washington well, Post editorial board? I don't think Joe Scarborough is going to have him on <laughs> anytime soon. I, I, I think if, if Ted Cruz called the Morning Joe uh, bookers and said, I want to come on, they would find – they'd part the Red Sea for him. I don't think that they would have any Well, problem. and I think if even if there is – even if he's hurting himself somehow with uh, independent voters with moderate middle or whatever, he's got – three years before he runs for president to work on that. I mean, it's not... Does he strike you as the move back toward the center in the general well, election type? Not no, but I'm I'm saying maybe I'm maybe I'm making an insult no, at the electorate that, you know, three years from now, are they going to remember that? I, obviously, the people running against him in a 
in a general election would certainly want to remind you about it, but it doesn't hurt him in the Republican primary. That's the deal you got to make if you want to be the one true Tea Party hero, right? right. You probably won't be able to win a general election. I think that the the prospect of Hillary Clinton being the Democrats' nominee for president and the the over-the-shoulder looking back at McCain and Romney having been the nominees of the Republican Party the last two elections, I think that the full-throated conservatives are going to say – you know, A, what part of we got our asses kicked the last two elections with a fake Republican, don't you understand? Well, you said ass, therefore. Well, there, I was about to say, say he said you. he's the boss. And B, if she's the nominee and everybody thinks that she's awesome and invincible, which may or may not be the case, why don't we just put the ball in the end zone here? You know, why not run somebody who is the exact uh, opposite of her? Run a complete contrast election. Don't try to get to middle. Just run all the way to the end. Uh, you're not going to do worse than the other guys did last two times. And so, I mean, I think he thinks of himself actually as a plausible general election candidate, even if he can't win or he, harder prospects for him to win or in the rest of the country. I just think that this, the dynamics of this election may mean that he ends up being potentially the guy they nominate. I don't know. I don't, but, but, I, I don't have no idea how this is going to go. I we don't. should just end the podcast there. <laughs> we could just run that clip I'm every acknowledging week. Yeah. I don't know anything. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about something that someone at the table does know about and, and is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan Morgan is in the midst, right? We are not yes. done. We are in the midst oh of a series. Oh my god, she is totally killing it. <laughs> you, you had cotton positive this, response from Diane Ravage. Yeah. Right. No, c- well, my work is done here. I'm going home. <laughs> you didn't let me finish. Morgan is in the midst of a, a epic brisket review series yeah. starting yeah, in Jasper. Exactly. Yeah, Faking you, the pit. <laughs> can you tell us what you've been working on? Sure. So it's been um, an investigation into tutoring companies that are subsidized by the No Child Left Behind Act, uh, which the state just received a waiver from. But this was a provision in No Child Left Behind that required school districts to reserve the money that they get for economically disadvantaged students to for their parents to contract out with private tutoring companies, the idea was to kind of level the playing field so that they could get the same services as, you know, the rich kids who are going to summer camp and, you know, have all the fancy after-school programs. Sounds like the rich kids are going to boring summer camp. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it, it was kind of a flawed a flawed concept from the start. I think that's pretty universally acknowledged, um, where you had this, this federal mandate that the state was supposed to monitor and have oversight over, and then local school districts were basically supposed to administer, but also those local school districts had no control over which tutoring companies the parents in their school districts picked, as long as those were on the state-approved list. And what we've seen in Texas, and which is the story in a lot of other states, is that uh, the state education agency has had a lot of difficulty in making sure that only quality providers are on the list and then has also just been um, completely mired in the complaint re- resolution process and not acted quickly to, to get those bad providers off the approved list. Is this just weakness on the state agency's part? I mean, it, it seems like a lot of these complaints would come to them. They'd just be like, oh, send that back to the local level. And then some of these were sort of clearly maybe shouldn't have been on. Like there was one that uh, was just using Scientology-based right. instructional material. Uh, you know, not that we have anything <laughs> against that Scientologists. that help you pass Texas but, uh, history? <laughs> Honestly, when that said a story like this, there's just no good way to end it. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you read that that's an – it's like, oh, my gosh, really? On top of everything else, that? Yeah, yeah I think that it – 
you know, there was a lot of confusion. Well, so it started, there's a tension, natural tension between, you know, administrators in a school district who are pretty resentful that they are losing control over this large chunk of federal money that is, you know, going to a company outside of, or um, a, a contractor outside of the school district. Uh, so you have that tension. And then you have um, the state education agency that doesn't have extra funding or um, is already understaffed with little resources that are that is all of a sudden getting all these complaints, both from the tutoring companies and the uh, school districts talking about all of these terrible practices that are going on, you know, false invoicing. Then you get the tutoring company coming back and saying, well, they're just refusing to pay us because they don't they don't want us to be on their campus. And so you have the agency saying, well, that seems like it's a local contract. So I don't know that we have the authority to to intervene in that. But I think when it reaches the point where there's such widespread complaints alleging such similar things across the state for many years that that you really I mean, it's hard to look at all of this and say, okay, the agency didn't the agency wasn't weak in some way and in, in how it how it yeah, there's no way out. to interpret this yeah. other than as a knock against TEA right yeah and to there I mean in the 2012-2013 school year after about six years of, of this going on they did you know they finally started kicking companies off the approved list um, they did I think try to be a little bit more robust in how they helped school districts investigate them and all of that but it took a long time, and that was a lot of money that was supposed to go help you know poor kids academically improve that that has gone down the drain. Yeah, how, how much money are we talking about? Is it fair to say wasted? How much money has been wasted? <laughs> uh, since 2007, school districts have spent 180 million dollars on this on this program, um, and that is actually a small fraction of what was eligible to be spent on this program. They were required to, to set aside about 20% of their Title I funding, and just last year that would amounted to about $200 million. But because there have been such issues with the tutoring companies, school districts, I think, have tried to use every tool they could to, to push back and prevent the, this activity from going on. So where's the, what's that money going to then? The companies, right? No, no. The, if if so, they've only spent... right. Um, so the, so part of the law was, and I think that this also contributed to to the tension, was that, okay, if a school district could demonstrate that they uh, that there was no demand for the tutoring services, that they could reallocate that money. So they would have to, they would have to give information. So they could fake numbers. Yeah. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so they would have to give information to parents about, okay, here are the services that are available to you. Um, they would have to, you know, give opportunities for these companies to come on campus and talk to students. But if students didn't then enroll or a large number of students didn't enroll in these um, services, then they could take that money and put it towards other things. Wait, so you're saying that on low socioeconomic campuses where you already have a low uh, percentage of parents engaged in their children's education, that if they can tell you something but you don't see the note when it comes home, they don't have to spend the money on it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that Ugh. is one of the <laughs> that's one of the questions. Or the school district should Brilliant. probably come back and say, "Well, you know." And Dallas ISD actually attempted to get a waiver from the TEA to do this um, a couple years back. It would say, "Well, how about we take that money and hire more teachers 
on those campuses so that we have smaller class sizes and we can do the kind of academic interventions that we know actually work. Does anybody actually like the TEA these days? That's just one man on the phone. (laughs) The TEA? That's a reference to something. I don't know what. Harold Dutton did did not win that battle. It was Harold Dutton and Bert Solomon's teamed up to try and defund TEA during the 2011 but, session. But is, is this not a continuing problem, an ongoing problem, that TEA is getting it from all sides? I think it is. Right? It is, and it's... It's only 60% of the size it was before the 2011 session now anyway, right? Right. And, I, so. and it's, it's... Don't pull it effect that. I think it's about 60%. Yeah, I think Evan already they had said he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mostly the, true. The TEA is in this position where they're an executive agency, so they have essentially a politically... Not essentially a political appointee that is the head, but then they're also supposed to be kind of an advocate or a monitor of of the school districts. And so I think that, and there are, you know, 1,200 plus school districts in Texas. Which is the best one? (laughs) I don't know. Premont. Premont. Jasper ISD, oh, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> has the best brisket. You're such the a James brisket. White suck-up. <laughs> <laughs> I think Premont is awesome because they somehow managed to persuade the community that getting rid of sports for a year was the route yeah. to salvation. In rural Can Texas. Imagine the, that sort of environment. You would have thrived as a high schooler. Me personally? Yeah. <laughs> tell you what, man. I, I totally agree with that. Some of that, some <laughs> of that money, though, to TEA's credit, some of the money that went into this tutoring stuff surely did go to – Right. Decent tutoring services. Well, and I, based on the scenario she was giving on how schools could avoid spending that money, I think you got to blame some of the schools too. Some of the some of the future leaders of Scientology were helped. With <laughs> but I, but, I, but I want to come back to this idea about TEA. I mean, I do think that there's an interesting question to be asked about whether TEA well, is, uh, is functioning in a way that people can get behind. It's just a, a, the, Michael Williams, nice guy, work hard, you know, all that. Let's not say this about him specifically. It's just I think the agency's mission is. I think it's it's some question muddled. I don't know what they're doing. And this is, I mean, you know, the agency's role was really um, called into question um, in the El Paso ISD cheating scandal. And there was a big, you know, state audit report that came out several weeks ago that really said that it it flat out said that TEA does not have the resources to adequately ensure that that cheating doesn't go on in school districts. Go back to that fakey rating system where they put in like a middle school field day. Everybody got a ribbon when they did. They changed the Texas performance uh, measure of the schools where all of a sudden 80 percent of the schools were exemplary. Right. The the boost that they got. That they then had to undo it, you know. I mean, I, it, it's like I don't know that I can think of anything over the last couple of, of cycles in which the TEA has kind of come out looking good. And it may be that we just don't understand or appreciate what TEA's role or uh, the execution of their responsibilities has been. But this is another instance in which TEA ends up getting a black eye. And so you can you can look for more of the, the series this weekend in the New York Times. You have one on right? Sunday in the Times? That's right. Yes. And, right. And, and what's this one about? Um, this one is going to be looking at kind of the largest, most uh, politically influential tutoring company uh, called Tutors with Computers um, and kind of its connections and the reforms that, that it might attempt to, to get into the law so that some of these services will end up continuing. It was mostly a, a rhyming-based 
education. <laughs> next week, Becca will have a story about gurneys with attorneys. This is actually a bunch of ambulance chasers. Who are... I made that it's one up good. sitting right here, that was Ben. good. Yeah, thanks. I was thinking intellectuals I couldn't think, of anything, I couldn't think of anything that rhymed with lawyers. TEA's <laughs> check will be arriving shortly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Let's talk about. Let's move back to uh, some state politics, and uh, actually, it's still so dealing with a, students. A Morgan Smith yeah. joint. Back uh, to so the uh, the lieutenant governors are having a, a squabble. The lieutenant governors. Do we have more than all one? Of them. Candidates. Hopeful. The David Dewhurst clones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the boys from Brazil. Now suddenly yeah. we're going to Dewhurst and his clones. The, the, lieutenant, the lieutenant governors are my favorite band, and I think they're on the verge it's of breaking a great up. Great band name. That's right. But, uh, you think they are breaking up? Yeah, but the lieutenant governor candidates are having a squabble. Uh, maybe Ben could tell us what it's about. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it involves tendinitis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Morgan, you have to fill in for Ben here. Hang on. Is Ben even here? <laughs> uh, so, I think he is here, actually. Uh, at the beginning of the week, Dan Patrick released... So Monday. Monday. Uh, the, the traditional beginning to the week. That's Sunday. Not Sunday? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it uh, was tutored at Vanderbilt <laughs> by one of those companies. Um, Dan Patrick released a um, a TV ad saying, claiming that he was the only candidate in the lieutenant governor's race who opposed in state, state tuition for undocumented immigrants. Uh, that immediately touched off um, some consternation among his opponents who said – Accuse him of lying. We hate, <laughs> Simple as that. We hate giving tuition breaks to undocumented immigrants <laughs> Dave, as much David as Dewhurst Dan Patrick. campaign accused him of lying. The Patrick campaign came back and said – The Patterson. The Patterson campaign. Well, but Travis Constantine, Dewhurst spokesperson, also, I believe, uh, was online on social media saying not true and here's – Yeah. I mean they all – in Staples mm-hmm. as well. I mean all of all three of the, the other candidates in the race gave a version of like – He's being dishonest. Patterson now, used Staples the word and lying. Staples Patterson and Patterson were liar, in the legislature then, though, correct? Well, I think Patrick. I mean, claimed, that, I hope I have this right. That yeah. Did not Patrick claim that Staples voted? And, and Staples did. Well, we should. And was, so, yeah. Patterson was in the House. Patterson thing? was not. Oh, he wasn't. The law. Yeah. The, the so the law giving in-state tuition uh, to uh, some undocumented. <laughs> Uh, children of in, undocumented individuals, persons, right? Is well, undocumented children. Also, both. Basically, yeah. basically yeah. the way it works is so in 2001 they they made this law, and what it says, and then they changed it again in 2005. And both times, actually, this shows sort of where we've gone in our politics. Both times it was fairly like not that controversial. Well, 2001, it was, sort of like, and it was four people voted against, or was it? I think it was four. And the, then the it, governor said the 2005 yeah. change was um, passed unanimously through the Senate. Um, I mean, it really wasn't a big deal. It was seen as a, as Governor Perry has said, sort of the right economic decision for the for Texas. Yeah, that was state. the thing that that he got booed over in yes. Florida. And he right? said, if you opposed it, you're Florida heartless. In Iowa, yeah, but uh, in New Hampshire, I mean, he, they hated him all over the place. Yeah, they really, the, really hated him. Yeah. The way it works is that uh, if you Perry liberal, that's if right. you graduate from a Texas high school and can prove that you've been in the state for the three years leading up to your application to college, and you sign an affidavit uh, saying that you will seek permanent residency status, then you're considered a resident. And so you get the benefits of being a Texas resident, which include access to uh, in-state tuition and uh, state financial aid. Yes. Um, and so uh, – but it's it really – Or as it was called on the presidential campaign trail, giving free tuition to all immigrants. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, it's, but it, it really it's only – simplifying it or anything. No. <laughs> Only in recent years has it really become a controversial thing, and you've seen people that are very opposed to it. For example, State Senator Brian Birdwell 
has been eager oh, to ma- take it down. Many, many of the senators yeah. I've talked to over the last couple of years, when you ask them if this were to come up again, would you be a v- no vote? They say there's a no And that, vote. I mean, and we should say, so Staples was is the only one in the race that is, you know, on the record having a vote in favor of this. Um, but he he has said since then that he thinks it has it should be repealed. And he he said that his understanding when he voted for this, that it would only be uh, it would only apply to undocumented uh, students who were then, you know, working to get status, working to get citizenship status, and it has not been implemented in well, that it's way. Well, it's that affidavit thing. I mean, you sign yeah. something saying that you will seek permanent residence that residency status, but I don't think there's anything in place that says it forces. they will then follow up. Yes. Right. Well, TEA sure. is. They just haven't got around to it yet. Oh, it really, I guess it would be the, court, the higher education coordinating yeah, yeah. board. But it really is. It's a very small percentage of the state higher education population is about 1%, I think. It's maybe 16, a little over 16,000 students uh, in 2010 signed uh, a thing. You know, they declared their residency this way out of maybe 1.4 million or something. I mean, it's like really, it's virtually nothing. So do we think that, do we think Dan Patrick looks silly for putting out this ad and now everyone's well, saying think, he's a liar or I think Dan does Patrick he win? Looks, I think Dan Patrick looks silly for uh, sort of, uh, it's an example of him saying the opposite of what he previously said on some things. When he's been arguing this, he's been going after Dewhurst uh, for, for example, killing Brian Birdwell's bill by referring it to the Higher Education Committee back when there was a Democrat chairing it. This was Brian Birdwell's bill to get rid of the the Repeal provision. Repeal the law, yeah. But um, last time around, when Patrick famously was very supportive of Dewhurst's uh, U.S. Senate bid, he supported Dewhurst's actions regarding that bill. And defended them pretty so I think strongly. Is that, is he's anybody, getting into is pretty serious. Paying, is anybody paying attention to this stuff? That's us? the other question. Yeah, he's, getting into, he's getting into serious flip-flop territory. But I don't know if that's something that really people think that hold politicians to post-John Kerry. And it's also just so insidery. It's so insidery. And look, the base is going to determine the outcome of this yep. lieutenant governor's race as it will determine the outcome of the other contested primaries. The base is an extremely small subset of the Republican Party, which is itself an extremely small subset of the voters overall. You need as many of those base voters, the Republican primary voters, as possible. And this issue is a dog whistle for the most conservative of those right. people who are also the most likely to turn out. Patrick benefits by, from making the allegation. Many fewer of them will hear the rebuttal right. or will believe the rebuttal. The, the, only the thing damage see, is done. Yeah. That's but, right. But we are, I mean, we're not in the position of only talking about what we think the base wants to talk about, right? Like if a candidate is out there saying the exact opposite, so let me say it's just a couple of years but ago. But your right? question is, Does let's assume that Patrick is being duplicitous. Let's just sort of say that. He'll object to the suggestion. But let's. But Dewhurst and, and, and Patrick, I mean Patterson particularly, have, have said his, that. His view has, has, has some nuances that have right. morphed over time. Let's assume that Patrick is being duplicitous. Are there consequences for that? I, no. I would if say can, they're not. Yeah. If he can be successfully painted with that brush, and we don't know if he can yet, and there might not. If know. it becomes a part of a larger right. pattern or, or question about his character, just like, just like you know, sort of. And Dewhurst I think his opponents sort will of very much try to do that. Yeah. Sort of was reinforced with the Allen PD phone call. I mean, it sort of everything adds to our reputation. I think. I mean, even if but even the, if the, is, is yeah. the, the the base is likely to not. I think the base is energized by talk of yep. I'm the only one who mm-hmm. protected you against the the, the emerging brown men. I think, and I even think pretty much what Patrick I think is saying. That, if you think that Patrick can uh, successfully uh, pin this to Todd Staples for 
a vote that he cast in the majority in the overwhelming majority in 2001 and say that he's flip-flopping on it then i think it's just as reasonable to assume that you could take some quotes that patrick had months ago and say that he's flipping flip-flopping on it i mean maybe but i think it's who gets theirs first with the base sometimes i mean i think that even if the so the the base just hears that first line, I'm the only, and that's it. Now, let's say they go to the next level. Well, the next level is Patrick then saying, and here's Todd Staples' vote, and here's Governor Dewhurst blocking it by sending it to a Democratic committee. Oh, and by the way, I'm not going to let a Democrat run this. Co- I mean, it just it seems like— I, I'm and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that Patrick has changed his position on in-state tuition. I'm saying he's maybe changed he has, his position just, on David Dewhurst. I think you can't—I think— if we scratch the surface a lot, maybe you could get around to that, but I don't know that voters are doing so that. So this entire primary is basically just a push to see who can get further right than Dan Patrick. Or can or can appear to be further right, yep. legitimately or not. And I, and I also think, Morgan, since you're covering this race, the, I, I would say that if you agree with this, see if you agree with it, the interesting thing here is an emerging dynamic as we get closer to primary day is going to be Patrick versus Staples. I think the Patrick versus Staples dynamic is interesting because if you assume – that someone has to either emerge alongside the lieutenant governor in a runoff, or if the lieutenant governor doesn't make a runoff, then it's a question of who gets to move forward. Patrick and Staples are are fighting for a a, a similar plot of land, mm-hmm. right? Pa- it, Patrick helps himself by by disabling Staples or attempting to disable or discredit Staples, and I think the Staples people have to come back and you know they they've been talking all along about how they're going to target Patrick for various things over the course of this campaign. I think the Staples-Patrick fight is going to be enormous. Jerry Patterson's – I thought Jerry Patterson's volley back to Patrick was strong. And that's kind of one of Jerry Patterson's strengths in the race. He has his character as the folksy, truth-telling – Guy, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's that was very well. You, you've also had tutoring. Yeah, <laughs> that was very articulate yeah, on look, a computer. <laughs> look for his next web ad. Yeah, Jerry Patterson, the folksy truth telling exactly. guy. <laughs> I'm Jerry Patterson. I'm a folksy truth telling guy, Pretty and sure. you should vote for me for that. <laughs> That job that I want. Governor banned <laughs> membership slot. I want to be one of your lieutenant governors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a Towns Van Zant song. All right. Uh, who do we want to thank this week? Let's thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music and once again for doing our, our live show last week. Uh, let's uh, tell people out there that if they want to send questions or comments to tribcast at texastribune.org, they may. Any last-second thoughts from anyone? Don't, don't forget to thank the hipster doofus over here. Who's well, I haven't, I haven't sitting even, here taking panoramic photos the whole time. I haven't yeah, even. <laughs> can't wait to see that on I mentioned, Instagram. I mentioned Ben at the top of the show. What are you talking oh. about? Oh, I said hipster doofus. Oh, yes, yes, I'm just a doofus. Okay. <laughs> oh. so you see what you've Todd, done? You've, you've please tell me down. you got that, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you to Morgan, Ben, Evan, and our producer Todd. Uh, we will see you again next week. This is Reeve. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> That pimping has been desexualized. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Silence. <laughs> you, you tricked me into saying that. <laughs>